Thank you. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7, as we continue to listen to Jesus, as He gives us those life-changing words from His Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us from chapter 5 and chapter 6, you'll notice that Jesus has been exposing the superficiality and the hypocritical religion that was popular in that day, taught by the scribes and the Pharisees. That legalistic, externalistic religion is still around today. There's people that try to put you in this religious box that has all the rules with no relationship, and Jesus is exposing that. Follow as I read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Judge not that you do not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite, first. Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Father, The words of Jesus are so precious. I pray that today, Father, as we we listen to them again, may they fall fresh into the areas of our life that need to hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. I think as we look at chapter 7, we can divide this chapter up into three different thoughts on judgment. The first one is our judgment of ourselves that Jesus is talking about in verses 1 through 5. And the first principle of judging is we've got to begin with ourselves. Now, Jesus did not forbid judging others. To be careful in your discrimination is essential for the Christian life. Christian love should not be blind. The person who believes all that he hears and accepts everyone who claims to be spiritual is going to be confused and going to be in danger. It's necessary to discriminate, but to be hypercritical is wrong. The word rendered judge here is the word we could also look at as as condemning. The reference is what the Pharisees would do. The Pharisees would go through the, the day and they would just love to point out the faults in other people. They would say, oh, you walked an extra 10 yards today on the Sabbath, and they would criticize that person. They were going around making judgments on other people for supposedly their sins, and 
they played God as they condemned other people, but they never considered that God would one day judge them. Now, this verse is probably the, one of the most misunderstood verses in the whole Bible. It's one verse that people who live in the world know by heart, don't they? They even know this more than they know John 3.16. If you ask people in general what their favorite verse in the Bible is, of course, they would say, judge not, that you be not judged. They love that verse. Of course, they take it to mean that no one has any right to say anything about my actions, my lifestyle choices, or my sin. I hear this so often from people who feel that no one, not even God, has a right to criticize their sinfulness. So this verse is really misunderstood and, and twisted to mean something that it doesn't mean. I think what Jesus is telling us is we, before we point out the sin in anybody else's life, we need to make sure that we examine our own heart. And, and that is the whole teaching of the speck and the plank. Remember that teaching that Jesus taught in, in a very visual way, you know? If you're going to criticize or try to pull out the speck from somebody's eye, you need to examine the plank, the two-by-four, that is in your own eye. Pull that out first, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, of course, the obvious teaching is real. The teaching here is to make sure before you go picking out little things in people's lives, make sure you take care of your own life first before you go criticizing others. I remember uh, a man in one of the churches that I pastored in, in Iowa. He was always really critical of anybody that didn't believe that the King James Version is the only version of Scripture. He was really, that was, he was, he was just criticizing people about that. But you know, this same guy that criticized on the version issue was living in adultery. And I had to confront him about that. And you know, it, it, it shows about the speck and, and the plank. And then I was preaching on this and used that as an illustration about the guy that was uh, a King James only and, and making sure that everybody believed that way and was living in adultery. I preached that in my home church. And after I preached that, a guy came up and cornered me in the back, and he says, I hope that you never get to preach in this church again, because anybody that would dis, dis, disown the King James Version ought not to be preaching. And, you know, after he blew me away, the pastor came up and says, don't listen to that guy. He's not even saved. And he wasn't. He wasn't saved. Yet he had the speck when a plank went in his own eye. Folks, what Jesus is saying, before we start criticizing other people, you humbly look at your own life and say, Lord, is there anything that I need to get rid of, whatever it is? And the same teaching was, was Jesus was talking about the woman that was caught in adultery. You know, what did he say? He that is without sin, you cast the first stone. What is our motivation in doing this? Well, it should be love. Galatians 6.1 says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So when Jesus is talking about judgment, the first thing he says, judge yourself first. 
Now he's beginning to talk about our judgment of others in verses 6 through 20. Notice with me as I look at verse 6, and we entitled this, Handling the Precious Truths of God. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and tear you in pieces. Now, as God's people, we have the privilege of handling the holy things. As a matter of fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthly vessels that the power of God and not the excellence of the power of God may be in God, not in us. The treasure is the gospel. We have it. We deal with it daily. And we have this treasure. And the priests in the Old Testament, after they would perform the sacrifice and they would offer the meat upon the altar, they were not, they would not take that meat as it had been sacrificed and throw it to the street dogs. Now, it's not talking about our pets or anything. It's talking about the street dogs that were scavengers, that were vicious. He says, you don't give that, that what you offered to God to the dogs of the street. And we have something very precious is the gospel message. And sometimes the people are not going to hear it. Don't cast your pearls before swine. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was standing before Herod, what did he do? He didn't say anything because he knew Herod's heart. Paul, when he was confronted sometimes when people didn't believe and he refused to argue with people who resisted the word. Folks, some people reject the truth of God. Now, we were to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but sometimes we need to look and see where the harvest field is white and not waste our time giving it to people who've already rejected it time and time again. That's what Jesus is talking about, pearls before swine. And then the beautiful verses in 7 through 11. I like these verses about asking, seeking, and knocking. Did you realize that it's in the present tense and it could be read, ask and keep on asking, seek and continue to seek, knock and keep on knocking? And he spoke about our Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven. And just as he taught about prayer in a previous chapter, he says, your God, your Heavenly Father is willing. He wants to give you good things. He doesn't want to give you a stone if you ask for bread or a, a serpent if you're asking for a fish. He wants to give you good things. And just picture God as we ask Him. We keep on asking. Our Father is more than willing and He wants to hear us pray and answer our prayers. Jesus taught also about the golden rule in verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this is not the golden rule. This is the, uh, the, the only way to, to heaven. This is not a salvation verse. This is how to treat people verse. This is what Jesus is saying. Summarize the whole Old Testament can be summarized do to others what you want them to do to you. That's, I remember in elementary school getting a ruler and, and it had right on there the golden rule and it would quote Matthew. I don't know if they still do that today, make rulers uh, with that. They don't even have rulers, do they? Oh, probably not. <laughs> anyway, probably have something on your cell phone you can measure distance or whatever. What Jesus is saying is, 
It releases the love of God in our lives and enables us to help others and even those who want to hurt us. Now Jesus is talking about the two ways, the two ways in verses 13 and 14. Some of the most powerful verses Jesus ever spoke about. Enter by the narrow gate. For every... for. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus talked about the narrow gate, the narrow gate. Of course, there's two ways. There is the narrow way, and there is the broad way. One is the highway to heaven, and the other is the highway to hell. The narrow gate. Enter. How do you enter this narrow gate? That's easy. That's salvation. If you read the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, he talks about Pilgrim. It begins his departure from the city of destruction. And he's on the way to the celestial city. And, he, and only, the only way that he could get through is, is to enter through that wicked gate. And as he enter that wicked gate, he became saved. That's a beautiful picture of, of what this verse of Scripture is talking about. You know, a lot of people think that everybody is going to get there. I can't believe even Christians feel that as long as you're sincere, whatever religion you choose is fine. I just choose to be a Christian. But Islam is all right, and Buddhism is all right, and Confucianism, and all these others are just different paths to the same God. Jesus would beg to differ with you. He says the gate, the entrance to salvation is very narrow, and unless you go through Him, John 14, 6, I am the way. I'm that narrow gate. No man comes to the Father but through me. Folks, if you don't believe that, you don't believe the entire message of the gospel because it starts at the narrow gate. And I hope that there's been a time when you have repented of your sins and you asked Jesus Christ to save you and you've entered through that narrow gate. If you haven't, oh my friend, it's all worthless. There's the broad way that everybody's going. It's wide because there's many there. But Jesus says, Difficult is the way. That's why a lot of people don't choose it. The Christian life is not a picnic. It's difficult through many toils the Lord has brought us through. We know that. Jesus warns that the path to life is hard. The way of life is narrow, lonely, and costly. We can walk on the broad way and keep our baggage of sin and worldliness, but if we enter the narrow way, we have to give up those things. Here then is the first test. Did your profession of in Christ cost you anything? Did you lose that load of sin on your back? Jesus says there's few that find it. God's people have always been a remnant. It's always been a small minority in this world. The reason is because it's a difficult way. Jesus taught about the two ways. And then he talked about the two trees. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, bad fruit. Good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. By their fruit, you will know them. 
Jesus warned people. Now, this is, he's asking them to make judgments, to be careful about wolves coming to you in sheep's clothing. <clears throat> How are you going to know if, if it's a wolf, if it's a false teacher like the Pharisees that are, he said, you'll know them by their fruit, the fruit of their life, the fruit of their actions, the fruit of their kindness, the fruit of the Spirit in their life. You'll know them by how they live and how they act. You'll know them by their fruits. You know, have you ever picked up a piece of fruit and taken a bite at it and it was sour? Or it was rotten? Or it had a worm in it? You know what's worse than having a worm in your apple? You've heard that one. <laughs> You'll know these teachers, Jesus said, because the fruit that comes out of their life, not just the words coming out of their mouth, and that's how we will know the truth. If, if people show it in their life, it doesn't matter how, how bold you are, how dynamic a preacher you are, how spellbound you hold an audience, look at their life. Does it nullify what they're saying? Jesus cuts right through it. He is judging, he is telling us to judge ourselves, and he's telling us that we need to be judgmental or we need to be critical of others that make a profession. And now he's talking about God's judgment of us, verses 21 to 29. Verses 21 to 23 are some of the scariest verses, some of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. The deadly mistake of a profession-only faith. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, let me just stay right here. This is not a work salvation. This is not uh, this. Jesus is exposing profession only. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful wonders in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Oh, this is a scary verse. You say, Pastor, I thought you said that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. But the words themselves are not what changes you. And a lot of people think that. A lot of people say, well, I said the sinner's prayer, therefore I'm going to heaven. No, no. It's, has there been the change in your life? Jesus is talking about these religious teachers who were doing all kinds of things. They were giving money. And today, you can make a profession and you can do all kinds of religious activities and come to church and, and put your money in the offering plate and, and do different things. But the question is, I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? Is He your Savior? The greatest question is, does He know you? Does He know you? Have you asked Him, call upon the name of the Lord from a sincere heart, repent of your sins, and He will save you? That's a promise of Scripture. But a lot of 
Christians in churches today, even fundamental churches, are a profession only. There's never been a change in their life. There's never been a love for Jesus. There's never been that desire to have Him be Lord of their life. The deadly mistake of a profession only faith. And then Jesus talked about it a little bit more when He talks about building on the sand and on the rock. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat up on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What is this teaching? Well, this teaching is where are you going to build your life? Have you built your life on Jesus Christ? Have you depended upon Him for your salvation? Or you've built your life on the sinking sands of this world's philosophies, the sinking sands of your own energy and your own dynamic and your own money and your own possessions, and you've built solid structures, but one day something's going to happen. The flood is going to come. The flood of God's judgment is going to come and it's going to wash away all of that stuff you have built except when you've built it on the rock of Jesus Christ. It's going to wash things away like a California mudslide and you'll have nothing left unless you've built upon the rock. Where have you built your life, my friend? Have you built your life and everything that is precious to you on Jesus Christ? Jesus taught about building on the sand or on the rock. And they also talk about the necessity of obedience to the Word of God. Verse 21, he says, He who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, it's important not just to hear, but to do. It's not just enough to have a profession. You must have a possession of Jesus. Spurgeon said, An unchanged life is the sign of an uncleansed heart. W.H. Griffith Thomas scourged Christians this way, there's no greater foe to Christianity than mere profession. There's no greater discredit to Christianity today than to stand up for it and yet not live it in our lives. There's no greater danger in the Christian world today than to stand up for the Bible and, you, and yet deny that, that Bible by the very way we defend it. There's no greater hindrance to Christianity today than to contend for orthodoxy and deny it by our judgmentalism, our hardness, our unattractiveness with which we champion the cause. Oh, this power of personal testimony with the heart filled with the love of Christ, the mind saturated with the teachings of Christ, the conscience sensitive to the law of Christ, the whole nature aglow with the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, we could turn this world upside down, is what he's saying. He's saying, don't just speak it, live it. My friend, we need to make sure that we're doing that. Well, what was the effect of Jesus' teaching as He came down from that mountain on the Sermon of the Mount, verse 28 and 29? And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at His teaching, for He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He was saying, thus saith the Lord. He wasn't just giving His opinion about things. He was teaching with authority. 
a longtime friend and associate of Billy Graham, was Chuck Templeton. I don't know if you've heard his story or not. He worked with Billy Graham and Youth for Christ in their early days of ministry, and Chuck Templeton helped organize Youth for Christ in Canada. But over time, Chuck Templeton became an agnostic, and he renounced his faith in Christ, even though he preached it powerfully. He left the ministry and managed two of Canada's leading newspapers. Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He had received his attorney's degree and was a committed agnostic. Through his wife's influence in the Willow Creek Church in Chicago area, Lee Strobel came to a personal faith in Christ. We passed out his book and even showed the movie, A Case for Christ. Lee Strobel read one of Chuck Templeton's latest book recently, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. So he decided to fly to Toronto to meet Chuck Templeton. Templeton, who was 83 years old, he interviewed Templeton. In their interview, Chuck Templeton vigorously defended his agnostic rejection of a God who claimed to love yet allowed suffering across the world to go unchecked. Then toward the end of their time together, Strobel asked Templeton, point blank, how do you feel about Jesus? Instantly, Templeton softened. He said, in my view, he's the most important human being who has ever existed. Then his voice began to crack, and he haltingly said, I miss him. Templeton's eyes filled with tears, and he wept with his shoulders shaking. What a contrast of two friends, Billy Graham and Chuck Templeton. Once worked together for the Lord and then went their separate journeys, Billy Graham said that Jesus was his most prized possession while Chuck Templeton weeps for having left him long ago. The broad way or the narrow way today? Which way are you on? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the words of your Son, our Savior Jesus, who talked about the two ways. And I pray that, Father, if there's one here that is still unclear on which road they're traveling, I pray that God, your Holy Spirit, would convict that soul so much not be able to rest until they take care of this decision. I pray that, God, if you would give them the courage to come and talk to me so that they could make sure that they have entered through that narrow gate onto the path towards heaven. And, Father, today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, help us to focus on the cross. That's where the narrow way begins, begins with Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen. Could we have our deacons come forward?